This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Welcome to episode 306 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This, as you very well know, is a podcast where we talk filmmaking. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> From indie film to studio films to TV. The clues are the title there. <laughs> and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to... Royally F them up. In our very, 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 very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson, I'm a writer, director, and a producer. And you are? Dom Lenoir, and I am also a writer, director, and producer. And an excellent one at that. Um, on this week's show, we have a real fantastic lineup for you. I can't believe we got the three of these people uh, onto our podcast. It's just amazing. And a big shout out to Organic PR, who uh, arranged this for us. Well, and for the film. It was the wonderful of them, because we are talking about The Wonder. The film is out in cinemas now and is on Netflix in the next few days. The, the guests we have on the podcast are... Wonder actor, Neve Argar. Very good. Director... Sebastian Lelio and writer Emma Donoghue. This film stars uh, Neve Algar, um, obviously as Dom said, because she's coming to chat to us about uh, making the film. But it also stars Toby Jones, Kieran Hines, Elaine Cassidy, and the fantastic Florence Pugh. I'm believable. Um, Pugh-ly- I'm not going to do that. Uh, so Dom, <laughs> I again uh, have been away and I'm absolutely gutted to have missed these last few, but Dom yes. has been amazing and taken over and he has run with it. And for this episode, he did remember the microphones, I, I hope. Yeah. Okay, good. good. Yeah. I'm glad, because I'd be really upset. Thanks for that, Josh. <laughs> I just thought I'd remind you again. Um, what, did, yeah. what, what are our listeners going to learn from... Uh, your wonderful chat with them. So a bit, a bit of backstory. So um, this was my first ever in-person interview, oh. which was which was quite a quite a challenging thing because I, I uh, usually I'm with Giles or, or another host or co-host. Yeah, co-host, not your, a primo host like yourself. Your, yeah, yeah, <laughs> He's giving himself that your, title. Your but I like it. Um, so so you know you you go into you go into these these places and, and I had loads of these back to back because Giles has been in, in in Italy and I was thinking shit. You know, there's, there's a lot of these to manage and there's a lot of really big names here mm. um, you know people I really respect in the industry and I'd never really done the recording myself either so I've got to bring all the the microphone along and I'm sitting in this this hotel room and one of my favorite actors happens to be the very first interview in this uh, this long procession of of uh, daunting podcast episodes that I have, uh, which is the fantastic Neve Arga. So, so I, I come in and uh, mildly nervous, and uh, she comes in and says, "Hi, I'm, I'm Neve." And I remember, I remember a conversation in, in the back of my mind where I was saying, "Oh, she's called Neve," and, and then the, the friend said, "She's called Neem," and I'm like, "No, it's, it's Neve is the is the Irish pronunciation." So that's what entered my mind at the moment she said hello, rather than my own name. <laughs> Here we go. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> so, 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 she, so, so she repeats it again. I'm Neve, and eventually I remember my name, which is which is you know a, a fairly useful thing when you're the one that's doing <laughs> doing so the interview. you just sat there. Did you just sit there not? Sit saying anything Amazing. But, but, <laughs> but what followed was a very good interview um and you know it was it was an absolutely fantastic chat and and sue got into the, the hang of it and the the swing of um you know sort of dissecting the film and uh, and speaking to her and and then after that all the other interviews went very well but um yeah it, it was it was a challenge and, and i think doing doing interviews is not is not second nature i mean directing is you have to be an extrovert in in a certain sense, but it's kind of second nature. And mm. but I think deep down, a lot of us are, are introverts, and, and hosting interviews it is a challenge. It, it is a challenge when you're doing it on your own. So it was a big thing to overcome, and um, but I met some amazing people, and I had some fantastic discussions along the way. No, you've done really well. It is people seem to forget sometimes this with podcasts or even any kind of interviews that we do, and and they just kind of 
think, oh, you're used to it, you do this all the time, but it's still really difficult. You've still got to remember stuff. You've still got to kind of get into the click with them so that they not only li might like you so they'll open up enough, but also that you have a good vibe and it's a fun and interesting interview for you guys so you enjoy it. But let's actually on that, before we talk about Sebastian and um, yes. Emma, why don't we start with Neve? because she is called Neve mm -hmm. Algar, <laughs> and yep. you are Dom. Um, some of her yeah. credits, though, because we didn't do these... That was on a Neve-to-know basis. Yeah, that's good. She actually um, outpunned me in the, in the interview, which was, um, which was, which was very, wow. uh, very surprising. No, no, one's, no one's done that to me before. No. Well, if you don't um, know um, Neve Algar, she has starred... You, you really should. Uh, she started some amazing TV. So that's sort of how I first saw her in uh, Mother, Father, Son which was just incredible and directed by a friend of the podcast and he's been on it uh, a good few times now. He's been in some of our live mm. events as well. James Kent, uh, director of Testament of Youth, but he also directed uh, Mother, Father, Son, which Neva's amazing in it. She's also starred in The Virtues, um, the Stephen Graham starring film. She was just absolutely incredible in that 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 film is is a tv series if anyone wants to so, know if anyone wants to know what like the epitome of of deep raw you know authentic acting is like her and Stephen graham in that is just astonishing like it really is it's a masterclass in acting it's a wonderful series do seek it out uh, she also starred in raised by wolves it was a big big hbo ridley scott vehicle she's also done deceit with our other podcast guest, Ado Yoshizaki. Yes. Which is how I heard about Neve. There you go. She's also starred in the films Calm With Horses, The Last Right Censor, uh, which is just a huge breakout hit two years ago, directed by Prano Bailey Bond. Um, if you've not seen that, do. Uh, Wrath of Man as well with Jason Statham, her sort of break, moving into Hollywood style. But now she's here with The Wonder. Ah, br brilliant, brilliant new film. So, shall we jump in with Neve, and uh, then we'll come back and tell you all about Emma and Sebastian. Sound good, Dom? Yes. So, shall we tell them what we're discussing? Oh, yeah, yeah there's that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are discussing her acting and preparation, collaborating with the director, and bringing a very unique energy to her roles. So, sit back, relax, uh, for the fantastic Primo solo host, Dom Lenoir, for about 15-minute chat with the very talented Neve Elgar. Enjoy. So... You've got your film in the LFF. We're in the very, very hectic Corinthia <laughs> Hotel. There's like press chaos everywhere. How do you feel right now? I feel wonderful to be here with Wonder. Ah, see what I did there. Um, I was going to do a pun as well. But you were going to do a pun, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's, I love, like the London Film Festival has, has held a huge heart, part in my heart because it was the festival that kind of started my career. I got my agent out of um, having a, a film here about six years ago and yeah it's the it always you, you don't know it always just showcases really interesting and unique films that you know it deserve to to, to have kind of like that spotlight on them and the wonder is a fantastic film can you give us a very brief pitch of the film please yes so the wonder is essentially at the heart of it it's a love story between um, this woman Lib and this and this child and Lib does everything in her power to protect this young girl. She's a Lib has been brought over from England to Ireland to watch over this this child called Anna who has stopped eating for the last four months and is believed to be you know is being being kept alive by by God and so you have got a whole community that are devout. Catholic in 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 believing that this 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 phenomenon is true and they're but they you know they send for this nurse that has to watch over and give her findings on on the child and so you have this this almost like this relationship that develops between the two and Lib is played by the incredible Florence Pugh the nicest human being in the whole world um who's she's sent for 15 days to watch and report and it's her journey um through this time and, and what she uncovers about why it is that Anna is, is not eating. It's not your job to question us. You are here only to watch. The watch is to last two weeks. 
We are proposing eight-hour shifts. There is to be no conferring between the two of you. On the 14th day, you will each present your separate testimony. May I ask, gentlemen, no one has told me what precisely is wrong with the girl. Anna O'Donnell doesn't eat. How long exactly has it been since the last time the girl ate? Four months. That's impossible. Thumbs up. And eyes wide open. Are you nervous at all? Why should I be nervous? Do you know the dangers of a prolonged fast, Anna? I don't eat sweets. I live a manor. From heaven. And how does that feel? Full. Anna is in danger. She's an actress. She's chosen. Are you feeling well in yourself, Anna? Very well, Father. Thank you. What right does a stranger have to come between a child and his people? I'm here to find out the truth. I am begging you, you must stop the watch. It was a terrible mistake to bring a nurse here. An English nurse. Sprint, Will you help me? This bridge is blood. You don't understand us. Forgive me. Anyone can be chosen. And can you tell us about your character? What, what is your character about? Because I think all of your characters in your films have a, a depth and something unknowable about them, which, which I've always found really fascinating. And I think in this, it's no difference. Like they're, obviously, the parents have their own agenda, but your character, there's definitely there's a layer to it and there's a mystery, which I find really compelling. How do you prepare for that kind of... You know, because you could play it very simply. Yeah, I think that's the, That's it. We we all have secrets in our heads at any given time, and it's picking what Kitty. So I play Kitty O'Donnell, um, and it's it's picking what what secrets that Kitty's choosing to you know keep from the audience, and that's what that's why we kind of lean in because you're kind of going on, what's going on here? Why is she saying that? And what does she really mean? But I, that can also come from just completely fr- upfront about it, just having very very strong beliefs in what you what you do and say and and Kitty she's she's observing she's the observer within the story and there's Sebastian has kind of bookended it with this narration and so the idea of this character is is bringing you into the story but also taking you back out of it and going see we're telling a story here and you can get lost in it and and but also you can be pulled out out of it as quickly as as you want and so it was a really fun project to, to be involved in but just to you know as an actor to just work with a team that, that's on this and um yeah so I was very very lucky and very privileged to be to be here. So when you're preparing for a role like this versus what you read on the paper versus what you actually put into the character how does your sort of preparation process go? Yeah well I, I ask as many questions to the director which, which they'll allow before they're like <laughs> enough <laughs> that's enough Dave. we don't need to know anymore uh, but it's that it's it's making sure they're on the same page. And I, I ask, even if I feel like, oh, this is such, such an obvious question, it's, it sometimes isn't. And sometimes mm. that's where it's, it's all about communication. That's what we do. We, we go onto sets and the environment changes from set to set. And so you have to understand how a director is going to work differently to way you work and how you're going to make that work as a unit. Um, but also it's like a lot of it is down to the, for especially for a period drama is that the clothes have so much of an influence in how you walk, how you sit, you know, it's, it, that, that for you is like the kind of the, these kind of clues, these, these little almost not, not, they're not crutches, but you know, they, they help inform your character. Small so pillars. That small of, little pillars. Yeah. And, you know, Odile, our costume designer was always keen on, on, Kitty was just constantly covered in dirt because she's always in the fields. She's almost part of the landscape. I spent a day learning how to cut turf, which is great. And, you know, there's some great turf cutting. Some I have to great, say. <laughs> I cut a lot of turf. We did this, we did that <laughs> setup quite a lot. Right. And it's heavy. Um, but, you know, just the, the physical demands of what that would have taken during the day. And then you're going inside and then you're 
you're trying to cook something and keep warm and constantly just trying to keep yourself alive. So there's there's all these, you know, you feel like there's just like the you fit the character's basic needs on how how they would live day to day. And then it's finding where you fit into the story and what what your role is within the story. So so how does it how does it happen? You actually getting involved in a project like this? Like, what's the what's the process? Your your agent sees the script. They say this might be interesting. Are you looking for something specific that sort of connected with this? Was it the the Irish angle? How, how did that process actually begin to you being in the film with? All this yeah, um, well, Nina Gold was casting it, and you know she sent I sent the script to my agent for me to read and and to put myself on tape. So you know you immediately like read the first kind of log line of going like it's Sebastian Lelio was directing this feature film with Florence Pugh and it's written by you know Alice Birch from an adapted novel by Emma Donoghue and you're like right okie dokie that's enough (laughs) that's all I need to know (laughs) do they want me to play the tree because I'll do it I'll do it for free and yeah you just like Florence has always made such incredible choices throughout her career so it was an there's a sort of trust there. Yeah, you, there's you a trust. You know that it's going to be a good film. Yeah, if Florence and, is in it as well. Yeah, and also the story, like it was, it's you know, it's 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 such a great story of these of this woman, you know, and and it was it had so much, so many layers, and she was incredibly complex, and um, and you want to be a part of that story. You want to like, you know, it's, those are the films that I love to watch, and so to so naturally, it's the ones that I kind of gravitate towards, and so yeah, I got sent sent the I did a tape I was in South Africa uh, shooting Raised by Wolves and yep, yep. I, yeah second so, series second series yep. so I'd, I auditioned and then I had a meeting with with Ridley Scott yeah <laughs> not second series though he was well he exact, oh, okay, but yeah, yeah. But he's, he's sort of he's, he's, he's there. overseeing he's overseeing it yeah. watching yeah. waiting <laughs> and got the role and then yeah so then then was just chatting with Sebastian and asking you know what what do you see for the character and what do you want me to what do you want me to bring and and just opening the dialogue that way? So it's all it's kind of you know just I just start asking loads of questions. Is there is there any kind of like research that goes into it? I mean, do you feel anything towards the era? Like the obviously it's quite a tragic kind of setting with the famines mm. and you know that that whole that whole uh, idea and 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 also the science versus religion. There's some very dogmatic mm. kind of viewpoints. Like how how did you kind of come to grips with that. I mean, it's frustrating as a, an audience member yeah. to, to watch the film and, and see just how one single minded um, some of the opinions are. Yeah. Um, speaking of like that era, the, I think there's very little kind of portrayal around Ireland in the, in those years. There hasn't been a whole lot of, there's not been too many films that it's kind of explores or maybe they're too scared to, to fully ex- explore the extent of what the Great Irish Famine was and so you have this film that's set 13 years directly after that but that is still it's still so raw and fresh and and so you you can only slightly imagine what it must have been like in that time to a be a woman but also be have suffered the greatest trauma that a country has ever seen and and be still living through it and how that would have an effect on you and why you would choose to, but you know, put all your faith in these stories because you you're literally probably grabbing on to anything because it's you've come from such a dark place that the idea that there could be something special with this child and you know if if it's if it's a miracle and and that's the you know to Katie looking at that way not understanding why it is that Anna is doing that she does and then so it then takes that and, and turns it into something else and then you. You can understand why then why people turn to to religion for 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 kind of protection and answers, you know. And it's it's such a huge theme in itself to explore. And I'm um, yeah, it's 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 fascinating. I mean, fascinating. It, it it is something really interesting in the film because you start off and you're you're very much sort of on on side with Florence as she comes in as the sort of these are the facts, you know. Let, let's let's you know find the. Um, the answer to this and what they're doing isn't humane to the child, et cetera, et cetera. But as you go into it and you kind of look at the family and you look at the the suffering that they're going through, it's it actually is a very difficult thing. And if, if your family are going without food, like, you know, it, it, this sort of edge between folklore and uh, science uh, and the kind of the viewpoints, it's it's quite touching, actually. And there's, there's a lot of very, very interesting moments that, that sort of cover that, I think. 
Yeah, you're totally right. And the the food, the food in itself of this. The I mean, food becomes, the food in the film is like, yeah. I hope you didn't have to eat the food. No, the food the, was amazing. Was it really? Yeah, it's it, funny. It looks, it looks like some of the, the sort of the soups. No, like it was amazing. Of, really? It was so good. Okay. Florence was bringing home like pots of it after okay. after work. She loved that stuff. Soup kitchen. Okay. Soup. Yeah, no, because it was like stews. So it was like, I think, th- was it a vegan stew we were eating? So it was like jackfruit and... Healthy stuff. Yeah. Uh, really healthy. And it was really warm. It was too warm. Because <laughs> it was a, we shot it during the summer. Oh, right. Okay. That's, mm. that's why I didn't... <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> sweating. Sweating it was. Um, but it's an Irish summer, so it was more like autumn. Yeah. But yeah, this kind of food is used as this tool to really make you think about... Like you see Florence's character and she's eating alone after she's been sat with a child who's been refused to eat all day and how yeah. that would... The moral, yeah, the moral, like the, the complexity of that, complexity of it, all, and and that that inner conflict that she has going on inside, and and so you can you can take those moments and sit them in silence, and the, it says so much because we're we're on a journey with this character, and and that spe- makes you kind of lean in, and yeah, I'll never look at Stu the same way again. Irish Stu, Irish Stu. So, what was the? Did you have much of a rehearsal period for this? Was it was it kind of straight in, get the script, have a few conversations with the director, or did you were you allowed that kind of freedom to play around, do many read throughs, do that stuff in advance? Well, it was we we were in well, it was COVID time, so oh, right. there was no. Yeah. It was you know we were just lucky that we were getting to actually make projects during during that time, so. There wasn't any, well, especially not for me. I didn't, I didn't do any rehearsal. I, um, so it, was, was it all, was it all like the sort of Zoom stuff? Yeah, we did like a Zoom table read, mm. which was brilliant because you're just, you could have shot that and put it on. It was amazing. <laughs> it's like little Keela. I was like, wow, she's a star. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. The, yeah. The, she's, she's, she's really, the, oh, really, some of the scenes were, were really, yeah, really breathtaking yeah. and heart wrenching. And she's got the emotional, maturity of someone three times her age um four times like she's you know it's she's got this huge depth to her as and and she brings so much to the character of Anna and this it's so sweet and yet so heartbreaking at the same time but yeah no it was it was it was literally we had the table read and then go and do the fittings and just straight into yeah and just I was just conversing with with Sebastian kind of back and forth and yeah, but it's such an inviting set, and we had Ari, who's her, who's DOP, on it. Who it's so amazing to watch her work. She's got this incredible. She's obviously got an incredible eye, but there's this confidence and ease and and calmness to where she works. It's you almost feel like she's in the scene with you, and um, yeah, it's a, it's it's such a lovely environment to be on, definitely. And in terms of like working with directors, I mean, maybe on this one, is it your is it your kind of preference to do lots of takes? Do you like to just go in and, and get it? And or, you know, what, do you have a kind of a preference in your process in that side? In general, in general, in, yeah. In general, yeah. It's a it's a tricky one because I can be my world's. I am the world's worst critic of myself, mm. and so it's it's really hard to walk away and and let go and. and especially at the end of the day when you you always feel like I always feel like I could have done, done that a bit better now and you come home and you think about it and go ah okay maybe that would have been a choice mm. so you know that's been a something that I'm back working you know back working on because you it's it's you have to have the love and enjoyment for the craft and and not like you take the work seriously but don't take yourself too seriously and and that you, there's, it's really important to kind of switch off, especially between between projects and just kind of go back to your baseline. I love prep. I love prep. I love researching the character. The minute like where you, you sign on to your project and I just love just immediately just going in and I like adding the, things to the character, adding things to her and, and, you know, making her real. Are there any tips for directors to do or not do? The best directors that I've worked with are, are the always the ones that give you freedom, but also give you enough boundaries that it's almost like you need a certain amount of boundaries in order to make the most of that moment and um, because it's very like you know directors that that kind of I don't know it's always it's a director's always so different mm. from that's that's the yeah thing. I mean that's the thing it, it's it could be every project is is completely different yeah and, and the good ones listen 
A good one's lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I when I started, I sort of started off in camera and it was, you know, plonk the actor here, move the actor here. You know, I didn't know anything about motivations or, yeah. you know, all these kind of techniques and, and things that communicate. And I, I think it is almost, it's like you've, you've got the, the director's got a vision and mm -hmm. then the actor's got a vision and it, it's finding somewhere in the middle where they can express freedom and, and you know, make the choices they want to uh, make. But they're also got a guideline of where they're going as well. Yeah, that's, totally. That's really important. Yeah, it's 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 having that. It's their it's their vision, and so you're you know you're to be totally respectful of that, and and then it's just the, it's the communication and having that feeling like you can have that open dialogue, and you know you're making this together. It's and it's it's a it's, it's a, collaborative, a collaboration. It's yeah. a collaboration. So you know you you essentially get lost in the scene, but you know you're you're surrounded by people and. And that's the key is that you you can take comfort in the fact that everyone is there. To, we're all telling the same story. Yeah. And I think there also needs to be a sensitivity from, you know, when you're working with a director as well. Like if you're going to go somewhere vulnerable, the director needs to be there to support it. And, yeah. And they're not just do this and, you know, that kind of yeah. <laughs> traditional villain villain directing from... I've never, I've never had that experience. Had just, so, well, just so people know. I've never, I've always yeah. like... Yeah, I've had pleasant times. I've, I've always had such a... Everyone that I've worked with, you know, I've been so lucky that I've I've worked with really great and kind people, and which is so important. It's so important, yeah. Just I love I love people. I, I'm fascinated with actors. I'd love to eventually direct. So, you know, it's that. It's just I noticed yeah. there's a few production designer credits. I have, yes. I mean, tell us life. about that. Where, where, where did that come from? Well, I studied design when I came out of school because I wasn't allowed to go off and study acting. My parents okay. were like, "No, nope. yeah." You Don't be get, crazy. You need, get a, you need to get a traditional you job. You need to get a proper degree proper, in art. Yeah, proper job. Yeah. <laughs> so I was interesting. Okay. I was in. I was studying art and design, and kind of wangled my way onto a few film sets. And I was a production runner, so I was running, getting teas and coffees on on this show. And um, I was like, oh mate, I could I could help in the art department. I've got like I definitely have some sort of skills that could cross over here. And I got in with this um, this this cost uh, this production designer, and so that was my education into the film and television television industry. Like I didn't do any formal training; I kind of learned on the job. Okay. And so, kind of from with acting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, and and, and so yeah, it's it's been like fifteen years being in the industry, but being both sides of the camera. Amazing, Neem. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wow, Dom, I wish I was there. I really wish that just sounded like such a fun chat. She sounds so delightful. Was she as brilliant in person as she comes across? Yes, very, very funny and very energetic. Very humble, actually. Complimentary to the other actors, which is a, which is a nice thing. I mean, a lot of actors sort of come in and they, you know, well, any, anyone in the, in the media industry will come in and sort of talk about themselves. But a good portion of time was spent sort of complimenting the other the other performers, which I, I thought was quite nice. No, I agree. We're going to hear about her for the, for such a long time. So why don't we jump straight to director Sebastian Lelio, the next? Yes. All right. So what did yourself... Why don't we? ...and the director of A Fantastic Woman, Gloria, Disobedience, The Sacred Family talk about? We talked about balancing genres between drama and surreal elements, mm. uh, collaborating with top actors and actresses like Neve Florence, uh, Toby Jones, mm. and uh, Elaine Cassidy, and putting his imprint 
onto the script as a director. It's also worth noting that Sebastian is a, an incredibly friendly, warm dude. Uh, and it was really nice to to meet him. Sometimes you sort of come in and the, the directors or, or the, the powerhouses behind these things are, <laughs> are quite serious mm. and, and, and stern. But like he, he's, a, he's a very... Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but but he was... Uh, no, he's a really, really nice guy. And uh, yeah, just just really, really grateful to be chatting about film, which is, which is what we want because we're a filmmaking podcast. Oh, indeed. Are we? Good to know. <laughs> so here it is. This is Dom chatting to the Wonder director, Sebastian Lelio. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. Uh, you have just got a very, very good film out. Thank you for having me. How did you kind of pick the elements when you when you'd read the novel that were gonna you wanted to adapt in, into the screenplay were there bits you knew not this isn't gonna work or this is gonna work and well the novel the novel has uh you know it's a beautiful novel uh and it has a lot of literature in it as in the characters think and feel and the thoughts and feelings are described and that's a way for the novel to allow you to 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 inhabit their you know, interiorness. We had to translate that into into film, and that's that can be quite brutal. You have to find ways of synthesizing everything and turning all that that can be quite um, ethereal into actions. And and yeah, so it was a, a process of uh, losing things and finding the essentials. But yeah, Lip's character, you know, Florence's character has a the test the testivesque element she's there she's the foreigner she's the unwanted one that is there to analyze the dynamics and to think you know in this uh, land of well fanaticism in a certain way so it was a story that demanded a very precise style of storytelling uh, a sort of like narrative machinery that has to work really really well you have to yeah think along her uh you know, by her side as as she's as yes, she yeah, as she processes deducing, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so you find yourself thinking that you are you know what she's thinking, but of of course that's a cinematic effect because um, you are thinking. You know, it's you doing the the, the job. So it, it it requires a very active viewer, and um, and that was really interesting. I really wanted to make a film that required that level of precision, you know, like craft and timing and the way in which information is delivered, how you manage suspense, how you play with expectations, how a film that you think is one thing turns into another one and ends up being more of a genre fluid sort of film. I really loved that territory and I thought it was a great, a great, yeah, opportunity to to hopefully, you know, make, uh, yeah, good cinema. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so with, um, with Florence's character, did you, was it always on the page or, or did you kind of embellish the character once you knew that she was cast? Um, I mean, there's some interesting scenes where, uh, it goes, it's, you know, it sort of slightly leans on the folklore and, and you have these kind of moments where she's pricking her finger and there's this kind of ritual, um, and it, it, it's, it's got a really interesting, you know, ethereal kind of edge to it. Like, can you talk a little bit about those sequences and how, how you handled that? Yeah, well, we wanted, we wanted for the film to, to be, um, dreamy, like, um, a fable that you can get lost in clearly fictional yet, you know, what the characters represent is not fictional, it's real. Um, the girl's problem, the power dynamics happened back then, way back then too, are happening today and will continue to happen tomorrow unless we change precisely the, the story we co-create to relate to each other. So in a film that explores the collision between belief systems, the collision between people that are willing to adapt versus people that found the truth and are fixated in that position and will not move from that position and will be willing to bend reality so it fits what they want and more infuriating than that, are willing to 
imposed that on, on others. We thought that the game between allowing for the viewer to be aware that they are being exposed to the power of fiction through the film itself, and then allowing them to get lost in the suspension of disbelief and get lost in the in the tale, in the story. Uh, we thought that that was, uh, yeah, um, something we wanted to achieve. And, and I think you did very well. I mean, the start of the film, it starts in a, in a studio. Yeah, um, yeah. And then it kind of throws you into the, it throws you into the world, but... I think it throws you into the world so successfully that mm -hmm. I'd forgotten that we were in the studio, you know, very, very soon afterwards. And I, I feel like a lot of that is, is the, the, you know, the choice of, of actors, which we'll go and do further, but it's also the, the texture of the world that you've created and, and the tone. It's, it's a very immersive, real feeling world. I mean, even from the, you know, the, the, the wallpaper and, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and the way yeah. things, things are and then the, the sort of the soup, yeah. Um, yeah, it really draw, draws you into the world. Like, what was your kind of process in in pre production, kind of yeah. trying to bring those things alive? I think we were all very aligned with the little, you know, rock band we created with the with the with the team. You know, um, Ari Wagner in the cinematography. She's a great, great artist, a great storyteller. Um, Grant Montgomery was in charge of the production design. Matthew Herbert, a big, big contribution in terms of the the score. And, and he was sending the first melodies while we were shooting. So it was like a long, a year long process. And we, we were all aiming for this sort of like otherworldly state. It could be a, a journey to another planet, you know, in a certain way. You go back in time, by, taken by the hand by this rationalist, more modern character, which is Florence's character. And you travel back into this, land, you know, that could be another planet where they worship a god, where they dress in a specific way, where they have all these moral codes and, and, uh, and um, rules of behavior, where men are in charge, you know, uh, and you can get lost in it. Um, and and do, do, you, do you kind of tend to collaborate with the same people or, or do you look at each project and think... I'm going to look for someone that fits my idea of this design. Like I want the houses to look like this. This person is perfect for that. I think it's something in flux. It depends. Yeah. Um, with, with, with Matthew Herbert, this is the fourth film we do together. It's the fourth score he, he does for, for a film we've done. It's the first time I worked with, with Ari Wagner, but I had tried to work with her before and we couldn't because of our schedules. So... Yeah, it's a, it's it's a combination of factors. So when you're when you're talking to your HODs, how do you first like to communicate them? Do you do you create mood boards? Are you a very visual person? Um, how does that process kind of begin when when you've like gone from okay, you've read the script, uh, where are we going next with this? Mm. Well, it depends on the film. In, it, for the wonder, we really wanted to have some sorts of uh, you know visual sophistication for the film. Um, so the viewer could get really like, as you said, like lost in the immersive experience. And so that, that's a lot of work, you know, that's fabricated. That's not a given. You have to fight for that, you know, yeah. and you have to, it's a co-creation. So you have to make everyone from the team to be in symphony. So, so you can... And you can generate the nomenclature that can help the group um, to know that we are looking for the same thing. Uh, and it's also a process, you know, you're, you're aiming for some things that you want while at the same time you're understanding the film you're making because you are making it, you know. So, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, mysterious process. It doesn't have a clear path. Path, exactly. Was it a challenge doing it in, in, you sort of worked around lockdown, is that right for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the second, the second half of the COVID, yeah. Was, was that, was that frustrating having to do stuff on Zoom or were you still able to do the kind Listen, of Listen, I, I was, I was, I was so grateful to be able to make, to make a film again. Uh, it has, had been a while for me. Mm. I usually make a film, it's two years and this three years happened. And so I was like dying to go back to set and film. So I was grateful to be able to film and also very grateful that nothing happened you know around us our other people were shooting 
other films and we were hearing stories about productions being shut down and we were very lucky, nothing happened. We took a lot of care. So yeah, I mean, I, it was difficult, but I, I can't complain, you know? And, and what, was the, what was the process of actually getting this made from, you know, coming across the novel, okay, I, I want to direct this, let's find the producers, let's, let's get this made? The thing is that the producers, Ed Gaini, mm. with whom I've, I've made Disobedience, and Tessa Ross, they had the, the book. Right. And uh, they were associated with Emma, and they were looking for someone uh, okay. that could direct the film or, <laughs> so you know, wrapped up really nicely, write it and direct it, something like that. And yeah. And, and for some reason they thought I could, yeah, I, I could be the person. And I, I read the book and I thought it was great, a great territory, but very, a very difficult film to make. So I was like, I really thought about it, but I couldn't take it out of my mind. And, uh, even though I knew I was going to put myself into a lot of problems, like artist, artistic problems and very, uh, you know, possible, lots of way, lots of reasons why the thing could fail. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't say no. I, there was something about the story that was uh, stronger than me. What were some of the challenges of, of shooting this? Well, mainly, you know, the, the themes that the that film explore explorers are very um are quite devastating and there's mm. something very sad happening at the center they are serious themes there's no way you can yeah, jo I mean, joke around them yeah, yeah you exactly can't, you can't, yeah. the famine a post-traumatized community a girl that is being starved i mean there is things that you have to treat with respect now how do you do that how do you honor those themes and at the same time find the tone um, to provide something that is essential in any, in any good film, I think, which is cinema, cinematic pleasure. So the tension between the seriousness of the themes and the duty of having to generate or find yeah, some levels of, 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 of cinematic pleasure. That was, that was a difficult thing to tame, to, you know, to, to grasp. Mm. And, and how did you look at the, you know, the casting for this? Because, I mean, you've got some fantastic, obviously Florence is amazing. Neve brings a really fa fascinating kind of energy to the character. The young girl is, you know, incredible. Um, you've also got, you know, some, some brilliant characters for the, the churchgoers. Like, how, how did that process work for you? I mean... Well, uh, Florence was the first one. Yeah, um, and was she always in in mind? She well, she was in mind. We sent her the script, and she said yes quite quickly. And we were like, I was like, yeah, we have a film. Uh, it's going to be Florence. Then we do have a film, you know. And then uh, the finding Anna, the girl, was was was. I was quite terrified about that because we really needed a great young actress. And uh, we saw hundreds of tape, tapes uh, during COVID. So, and yeah, when, when, when we saw Kila's tape, I, I was speechless. I thought she was incredibly committed and profound, really like profound. And then her mother plays her mother, Elaine Cassidy, which was a blessing for the film to have the luxury of portraying that relationship. And also Kila in that precise age range right before, you know, when, when she's changing from being a girl into a woman, it's, it's, a, it's a window in someone's life that maybe lasts nine months. Mm. So we were very lucky to, to have her in that particular moment. And then the script somehow, you know, attracted, uh, was appealing enough to, yeah, to, to gather this great group of actors. I mean, Neve Algar, you know, Toby Jones, Karen Hines, uh, among many others. So we, I felt very, yeah, blessed to have them. It was really a luxury to work with all of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and it is, it, it's, it's a very well acted, very immersive film and, uh, yeah, you should all go and watch it. I just, one more question before we go. Is there any advice you would give to directors who are starting out or looking to make a sort of a leap up in their careers or maybe some advice you'd give yourself going back in, in time? Uh, well, I think 
there are no excuses not to, you know, make a film is that what you want. And uh, it's all about, it. it's usually said that you should never make concessions. And for me, it has been the other way around. It has been the tension between what is dreamt and what is possible. And somewhere in between, there is the possibility of making a film. And I would advise them to take it. And, you know, to deal with the paradoxes and contradictions of those tensions. And somehow, within those tensions, find find a film and find a beautiful one. Amazing advice. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So that was Sebastian uh, Lelio. Uh, yeah, I love talking to directors. It's so interesting mm. for me. And I'm sure for you too. And in person, obviously, you're thinking about questions and thinking about what to do. But when you have that rapport sometimes, like me and you, it's, mm. it's very natural for me and you to talk about filmmaking and how we yes. want to make stuff and do it. And it's really nice when you get in that zone. Yeah. With anyone, I think. With your, you, I think you need to be like that with all your collaborators. Yeah, yeah, definitely. From your production designer to your costume designer to your editor. It's really important you have that relationship. It's vital. Speaking of having vital relationships with your screenwriter as well, if you're co-writing with someone it's very important you have a shorthand you have an ability to challenge but also be fair and work well together as a team because it can be horrible when someone doesn't like that line you've written that you love uh, and vice versa you know you've got to challenge them and say i'm sorry i don't like it and it's really difficult but if you've got a good relationship it can work well and this is what it sounds like Emma Donahue did with Sebastian Lelio. Dom, what can you tell us about your chat with this amazing writer who wrote Room? Room, ladies and gentlemen, not only the novel, but the screenplay as well. Room is just an amazing film. Yes, I mean, we haven't got much room to talk about that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. I was like, it's coming, it's coming. No, it was, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, it, I, th I find it very interesting chatting with writers that have delved into novels as well because it's, it is mm. such a different um, medium and, and I think it, it really expands what kind of detail you can go into and then you also have a very interesting process of really sort of narrowing things down and, and trimming back th this really fleshed out detailed story into the most important elements so I think it's a good you know it's a good process what, uh, what she's been through on, on this film to sort of take so many interesting facts from the era and sort of blend her own fiction in and create this this screenplay amazing well without further ado then shall we get to the chat we shall all right here it is uh Don Noir chatting with uh screenwriter Emma Donahue see you on the other side so um, welcome to the filmmakers podcast you have just had the fantastic wonder which is premiering at the LFF tonight, I believe. Yes. Um, how are you feeling? It must be very exciting. Oh, it's such a culmination, I have to say. You know, films take so long to make and at every point it, it seems like odds are it won't happen. You know, there are just so many things that can interrupt it. You know, pandemics, that kind of thing. And so when it finally comes together and it's a film you're really proud of, you know, it's just a kind of a, you know, multi-year build-up climax, I have yeah. to say. <laughs> that, that final moment of bliss and, and relief where you can kind of sit back and, and enjoy enjoy the success. So um, how, how did all this start? Did it start as a novel? Is that correct? Yeah, a novel I published in 2016. And I'd got the idea for that 20 years earlier when I first came across these cases of fasting girls. But it seemed too bleak even for me because the one particular fasting girl case I was looking at from 1870s Wales, um, she basically died while being watched by nurses paid for by the newspapers. And I found that too heartbreaking a story. So I finally, you know, in, in and around 2014, I thought I could do a fictional version of this, which would not be quite so bleak, but would be, you know, hugely, you know, engrossing, um, but not actually as heartbreaking. Um, so, yeah, it was a novel. And then immediately after the novel, I thought this one could work in cinema, too. Um, and when I adapt my work, I never like open page one and say, what do I do with this page? I, I keep the book shut and I say to myself, I want to tell the story all over again, but this time visually. So you've got all the elements, but you need to create something else. Yeah. And, and you have to feel free to change or move around or abandon any one element in order to capture the magic of the story as a whole. So is the is the film version, the, the kind of the script, fairly similar in terms of the, the book? Like what were what were some of the changes that you had to make? Actually, in terms of plot, um, yeah, it's pretty similar. It's 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 more that 
you can't be just wedded to any one little thing. Um, and overall, there's often a sort of a pruning down, a cutting away of characters. So, for instance, the kind of, you know, the patriarchs of the village. Um, in the book, there's one more of them, I think, his school teacher, but I decided he wasn't quite earning his place. You know, so I cut him away almost immediately. Um, and I think the novel starts with the nurse sort of getting the assignment back in London. We, we, we jump in even more in medias res with the film. We uh, start with her on the boat. No explanations. So the minimum of explanations. And above all, no voiceover. I hate when they adapt novels and they try and sort of, you know, this is the story, the, exactly. background, the background yeah. of the era. This is a prestigious literary adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is a film. You know, scrap the book. So, of course, I end up being fairly close to the book in terms of plot and even some of the conversations. But that's because at that particular moment in the film, that's the best way to tell it. Um, th there's a big climactic scene where the girl kind of confesses to the nurse. And probably all those lines are from the book. But um, it has to earn its place in the screenplay as a screenplay. You know, it can't just be in there because the book is. And above all, the book is very wordy because it's about, you know, it's got qualities of a 19th century novel and it's about a character whose job is to observe and to take notes. So, and it's full of long conversations. They're literally filling the time. They have these eight hour shifts together, the nurse and the girl. So endless conversations about things like religion. And I knew I, I wouldn't want to weigh down any scenes in a film with similar conversations. So we had to find ways to, say, communicate the religious stuff very visually. So, say, the girl um, plays with holy cards as if they're, a, you know, a set of dolls. Yeah, I mean, there's a there must be a lot to condense down, and it, it is. I mean, it's it's very clear from the script that there is a, a at the the very core of it, there's religion versus science, and you know, as a viewer, I, I was I was saying earlier to to Neve, it's it's frustrating to watch because of how dogmatic some of the viewpoints are. But I, I you know, I think it's a very fascinating kind of look at the era. How do you how do you kind of what's your process? I mean, maybe it doesn't apply to this because you've adapted it from a novel and it would be a different process. But how do you usually start to put together a script when you're about to write in terms of your, your treatment process? Do you do you kind of write out all the scenes? Do you just have a couple of pages and then you, you go for it and you sort of begin that first draft? I personally only do treatments if someone forces me to. You know? okay. <laughs> I don't like it as a, a stage. Gunpoint, yeah. Because, you know, I don't mind planning a plot. You know, when I'm writing novels, I effectively plan the plot in advance. So it's not the planning I mind, it's more the, the document, like the prose style of a treatment. I hate having to sort of summarize, say, changes in relationships rather than actually show it. So whenever I'm trying to write anything longer than a one-page synopsis, I want to start actually writing scenes. So sometimes even if I'm obliged to produce a treatment, I'll, I'll have sneakily started writing scenes already, you know, right. just, just so I know what goes on between them, because it honestly can be hard to know until you actually get characters up and interacting with each other, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, in this case, I suppose I was working from, from the novel. I suppose one thing that's different for me in film work rather than fiction is that um, for my novels, I usually do, I would say, a total of three drafts, whereas with film, drafting is endless, you know. Um, even during the filming process, you know, things get changed and moved and, um, you know, <laughs> it's a silly little thing. I remember looking at the, the latest version of the script and going like, how come the horse's name has changed? And uh, Sebastian said, well, it just turned out, you know, a, a male horse was the most talented one. So we need the horse to be male. <laughs> so that's an example of how things just change on the day, you know, and the weather changes. And, and then, of course, it all changes after filming as well because of the editorial process. Mm. For instance, a key scene in which I, as an unusually talented extra, was featured as, you know, one of a, a cluster of owl women outside the church talking to the priest. And that got cut. You know, that is tragic. See, great that's, stuff that's gets really left on the floor, <laughs> metaphorically. Actually, I feel I had the archetypal extra experience in that I spent five hours in a painful corset and there's no trace of it, except in they did send me the raw footage. So I got to harvest that for my home videos. You can keep that forever. <laughs> yeah. And be proud of it, of course. Exactly. Actually, I was a particularly stiff extra. I don't know how they do it. I'm really glad I got to experience it. Is, it's it. painful. I, I, it's hard. I, I've, I've done it once uh, and, it, and it involves it involves a lot of being cold because because you, you are, you are st you're standing there for a very long time and, and often you don't have to move. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah, it's, and we had it's to flip our masks on and off, hide them in our petticoats whenever the the, the camera was was on. And um, I found the other extras which were incredibly experienced and relaxed and used to the rhubarbing, you know. And I felt like a complete idiot, you know. 
Um, I was getting special treatment as well. Like, of course, you know, yeah. And um, um, Odile, our costume designer, came over and took somebody's really nice little cape and gave it to me instead of the big hairy blanket. So I had I had special treatment, but of course, still didn't make it into the final cut because it's all about the art. It's all about the art. So, so you you've got your you've got your first draft of the script. Uh, how do you go from there in terms of evaluating it? I mean, I, I know you're an experienced screenwriter, but what's what's your process of notes for yourself before you hand it off to said producer? No, I handed it off straight away. Straight I away, think I, I think, first yeah, draft. I, I was already um, talking to um, our, our wonderful producers, Ed Guiney and Tessa Ross, both of whom I'd worked with before on Room. So so all of us, my film writing is, is in... Um, in sort of dialogue with other people. So that's that's another difference, I suppose. When I'm writing a novel, it's a very private process until I bring my editors in. Um, whereas a film is at no point my private project, mm. you know. It's interactive from the beginning. And there are just endless drafts, but, you know, it's, it's a very enjoyable process. And then very early on, Sebastian got involved too. And so he really, he got to shape this one from the start. I was always writing it for Sebastian and with Sebastian. And it can be impossible to remember where individual moments came from but it was, it was a great working relationship from the start he's just so clever mm. you know he was a joy to work with I've been spoiled last time with Lenny Abrams and the same thing with this with, with Sebastian each time I like I learn new words from these guys literally I'll be doing an interview with them and I'm like ooh must look that up afterwards <laughs> So, so what what was the kind of the collaboration once once you delivered your script and, and then you sort of it goes over to him? What were some of the kind of changes or, or inputs that you then sort of worked together on? It's hard to remember because, because I mean, I know it changes. becomes a lot of small small sort of things that go backwards and forwards. Yeah, and I've often found well with the two main film projects I've had um, things get added in and then thrown away again. So often you end up with with the bones being more or less like where you began, mm. um, but you've often uh, had sort of, you know, temporary experiments. Um, and for instance, the the kind of meta elements he added at beginning and end, there used to be quite a few more of those. So, you know, there's kind of like a series of waves, um, but I'm afraid it can be hard to remember exactly mm. what got added when. There are so many drafts and it's a process of constant, um, not just tinkering, but reacting to things like as soon as we knew we wanted Florence Pugh for this, we began to think of the character a bit differently and sort of think, had her in mind. And um, Alice Birch had written for her before with Lady Macbeth. So that was a huge plus knowing we had someone who had collaborated so successfully with Florence before. Was it a challenge uh, balancing the, the folklore element of the, of the film? Because it, it starts off and it, it feels like it, it could be going in that, in that direction. There's these, these nice sort of snippets um, of that that sort of thread through. But then it does become actually like quite a drama film, really, that's that's kind of at the heart of it about famine. and. It's very interesting in its kind of genre signals. Yeah, like my 18-year-old my watched the trailer and he was like, someone going to get sacrificed? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Possibly even because Florence is involved in it, right? So everyone brings their previous films with them by yes. association. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, is that a demon child? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it's a very smart film that way. Um, not only does it have the kind of the meta elements, but in a way it's it's got elements of, of um, the, the historical drama. It's got elements of gestures towards the supernatural and the spiritual. Um, it might remind me, say, of, of, of a film like, say, Agnes of God, you know, the whole kind of what is this impossible miracle. Um, and it's got elements that feel just blazingly contemporary, you know. Um, we were always trying to find a language which would be of the past, but still absolutely relevant to today. We never wanted it to feel, you know, fusty. Um, and same with, say, the music. You know, Sebastian from the start said, oh, we're going to have a very modern soundtrack. You know, I've worked with Matthew Herbert before. He's extraordinary. Um, so we knew it was never going to be those traditional diddly-idly Irish, Irish, Irish sounds. Um, and again, in, say, in the cinematography even, you know, he and Ari Wagner brought in some sort of visual reminders of the Western as a tradition. Um, so, so... It, and he said to me at one point, I think of it as a spiritual Western, you know. Mm. Um, and he also said, I think of this as a love story, but it's between the nurse and the child. You know, so he just, he was he was very sophisticated about genre, I would say. So the film was never going to be any one traditional package. Mm. No, I mean, it, it, it starts off, it starts off and I, I, I think it, it goes in a very interesting direction because it does, it initially feels like, okay, we're going into a, a society that, that, you know, doesn't, doesn't really understand and, and, you know, his science and the science makes sense. And then as you sort of delve into it further, you, you actually get to the humanity of it and, and you kind of, I, I think it's a very original way to have looked into the kind of the struggles of famine. 
Um, and it does it in a very human way that, that doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's been done before. And I would say it, it sort of respects the, the dignity of these characters, even if they seem blindly irrational to us. Mm. You know, like in one little moment we put in as a backstory for Toby Jones's um, uh, doctor character, it's a little scene where he's lighting candles to the memory of his dead family. So instead of seeing him just as some absolute idiot quack, you're like, oh, God, help him. You know, he's lost his entire family and he has to believe that there's some magic out there which is going to conquer death in his lifetime, you know, um, or or say, you know, um, the parents of, of Anne O'Donnell, um, I would say, you know, that of course you judge them, but the film shows so much tenderness in that family as well and so much fervor. There's that lovely scene where, um, you know, uh, Florence Pugh's character won't let the parents get near the child anymore and they, they sing a hymn to her as a way of sort of bridging, bridging that painful gap. And that's just su such a lovely, you know, non-dialogue way of showing them attempting to still, you know, wrap her up in their love, dysfunctional as it may be. So, yeah, I don't think anybody is treated as the stereotypal, the stereotypical you know, idiotic villagers. Yeah, no, I think I think it I think it walks the balance very well. I mean, something else that's that's very you've definitely done research in terms of the elements. I mean, the the very buildings and, and the landscapes they they do in, encompass this kind of this lack. You know, this this kind of imperfect um, but very authentic kind of world. Yeah, they look they look patchy and worn, don't they? Um, I think Sebastian was startled when he, he he got into the main set of the kind of um, um, Ryan's pub and was painted red. And he was like, what? And um, our designer, uh, Grant, said, no, no, that's the underlayer. I'm going to paint green on top, but you'll see the occasional bit of red creeping through. So, you know, far from it being me doing all the research, I researched the novel. But then mm. uh, with a film, you suddenly have this huge team of people, each of whom takes their particular area and, and goes way beyond. Um, the, the production design team were um, on, say, a uh, reproduction Irish famine ship, you know, doing exquisite drawings. The costume people, um, until I was an extra, I didn't know it was going to be seven different layers of clothes, you know. Seven. So, oh, yeah. God. So they each knew way more about their area than I than I knew or than, than I had put in the book. So, no, I'm, I might be kind of Keeping a very solid script, foundations, yeah. But I'm not like running around going, oh, that paint doesn't seem realistic. Not at all. No, yeah. it's 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 such a pleasure. It's suddenly as if your own writerly brain has been supplemented by about thirty different people. Yeah. And and how did you get started in writing? What's what's your kind of how did you get into the whole thing? Well, a very bookish household, I suppose. My dad um, was a professor and a literary critic. My mum was an English teacher, so they just the two of them would quote Keats poems to each other. Mind you, I'm the youngest of eight, and the other the others didn't all write novels, so you can't explain it entirely through environment. But let's just say you know the walls were paved with books, and my dad's name was on a lot of those books. So I just thought that's what happens: you grow up and you write books, and then publishers send you boxes of them with your name on the side. So um, that gave me a great. You know, it made it all seem very doable. And and then and then going into scripts was it was it a difficult transition? It's not that it was difficult. It's just I could see no way in until I was about forty and published Room, and suddenly I I had a, a book that people wanted to film. So I thought mm. this is my chance because before I think I I tried one or two scripts, but if you're coming from outside the film world, it can seem terribly closed. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd really I'd, I'd written I'd written a lot of drama and radio drama and fiction and history, but film seemed like this other thing sealed off and mysterious you know it's like leave it to the experts so so room gave me this unique opportunity in my 40s to say no i'm going to write this script can't be that hard you know mm. <laughs> or rather it can't be any harder than any other form of writing well well that's it i mean it's so it, i you know i went to the library and i got my 20 books on screenwriting and i um i was almost too obedient to the rules i remember lenny saying to me lenny abrahamson saying like okay you don't have to obey all the rules ever you have to just you know, know when you're breaking the rules, but feel free to break them. Yeah, I mean, I I found that when I was when I sort of started in the you know bit of writing, and it, it, you you read the sort of save the cats and, and all the sort of the classics, and it, it's it's great to to be aware of the structure, but then you have to kind of put it in the back of your mind and and walk away from it. And it's like religious converts can be too yeah. you know, fussy about the rules. <laughs> I think at the, at the end of the day, it's it's instinctual, isn't it? And if you if you know how to write a good story, you know how to write a good story. And this is certainly a very good story. So Thank um, you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, definitely go and see the film and um, good luck with all of the release. Thanks so much. Well, there you go. How much fun did you have doing this, Dom? Oh, I wonder. 
Are you just going to steal my joke? I did off, off air. <laughs> no one heard it off air, Giles. Yeah, it's true. If it didn't happen on the All podcast, right. it wasn't real. No, you can have it. It's yours. Right. It's yours. I'll take you it. said I'll it. Take it. <laughs> I'll just leave you in wonderment of that. Oh, stop it. Stop it. It's ridiculous. People are like, this podcast is just pun idiots. I'm sorry. I apologise to everyone for, for the really excessive wonder puns. <laughs> but it is a wonderful film and honestly, yes. do do check it out. It is Bedwin Cinemas and it is on Netflix, like I say, I think a couple of days time, the 16th of November. So do watch it. Right. There we go. We've proved you can go out there and make your films. You can write a novel and you can turn it into a screenplay. You can work as a director or you, you can work your way up as an actor or a director. You can do it. You have to believe in your project. You have to believe in yourself and you can make it happen. And if you are lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty to send that elevator back down and help all those others who are starting out. But what if they hadn't invented elevators yet, like in this film? Then, you know, you have to find your own way around that, Dom. You know, you have to be creative. Think outside the box. Use a ladder. You know, right? There we go. We've just solved a problem. That's that's what filmmaking yeah. is. Do you know what the the stepladder said to the ladder? <laughs> Are you my real father or just my stepladder? So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should step away from this right now. Okay, no, no, I don't want any more puns on this podcast. These jokes are wooden. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get out of here because I'm again sweating under a blankie. Yeah. Oh my god. <sighs> let's do it. Oh. Pleasure. Thank you for doing this, Dom. Um, no, thanks. Oh, don't go anywhere, by the way, because on Friday we have Summit Fever director Julian Gilby uh, chatting with me all about his amazing uh, mountain climbing turning into a terrifying nightmare film. It is absolutely brilliant. Well, that's something to talk about. It definitely is. And then on Tuesday next week, they come thick and fast, don't they? These yes. podcasts. Because next Tuesday we have... The Swimmers director, Sally El Hassani. Her debut movie was one of the reasons I got into directing, so do mm. listen out for that next Tuesday. And then the following Tuesday, we're going to have a three-day millionaire special for you. Cast, crew, as many people as we can, talking about how we made three-day millionaire, which by then will be out in cinemas. <laughs> Oh <laughs> as you as you should know by now after uh, the constant plugging find the links in the show notes to the cinema thank run. you Tom and we'll see you at the cinema <laughs> <laughs> I love it alright take care uh, Don what are you going to do now probably sleep from the exhaustingly long day of, of working working for you <laughs> <laughs> so and why not go on Dom's Twitter and give him some love because of what he's been achieving these last couple of weeks as Primo Solo host. And go on iTunes, give us some love. And why not just tweet about this podcast or Instagram mm. about it? Just yeah. put up a post and say, hey, I really enjoyed this week. Honestly, do that. It really does make a difference. Uh, more people hear about this. And we'll keep growing and we'll keep getting amazing guests like these. You take care. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy the Filmmakers Podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon.